0: Now podcast where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life now here's your host evangelist TJ Malcanji last week we dealt with um, soul winning not only that we need to soul win not only that we need to have evangelism by fire you know the scripture says, that uh, Jesus, before leaving the earth, He gave us His final commands, His final will, His final testament, His final um, uh, issued command, which was that we should go into all the world and preach. And we talked about the necessity of preaching. We talked about um, the uh, effective keys that every soul winner has and how you can implement that even in your daily soul winning. However, uh, this week I wanted to take Take it a level even higher, and I want to show you the urgency that we have as end time believers to win the loss. There is an urgency that this is not something we're just to, you know, one day we'll get to it. No, there is an urgency in my spirit, and in I know a lot of people's spirits, and I know some of you watching right now, you have this urgency that we're not gonna be here forever, and that the final moments of time are not some far off thing, we are living in the final moments of time, we are not, they used to say, you know, Acts chapter 2, we read it on on Thursday, Acts chapter 2 says, Peter standing up with the 11 said, men and brethren, these are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God will pour forth of His Spirit on all flesh. If Peter in Acts chapter 2, which was like 2,000 years ago, recognized the day he was living and was the beginning of the last days, that this was the inauguration of the last day agenda, then how much more do you suppose in this present time Are we living in the last days? I know I've heard it many times. We're in the 11th hour. How many of you know this is the 11th hour of the church? That was maybe true about 100 years ago. We're not in the 11th hour anymore. We are 1159, 59 on God's prophetic time clock. The last few grains of sand are floating right through the prophetic hourglass of time and things are about to close up. And that's why God has reserved his best For last, the scripture says in John chapter two, at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, when Jesus turned the water into wine, the attendant, the master of the feast came and he said, every wedding, everyone that throws a wedding always knows to bring the good wine out first so that when the guests have freely drunk, then you can bring out the inferior quality wine because they don't care at that point. You know, if, if you're, you know, when you get intoxicated or you're, you know, at that point, yeah, you know, they don't care what quality wine they want. They just want more alcohol in them. That's just what, you know, that's how drunkards operate. And so he's, he's actually confused. Every man brings out the good wine first and then the inferior. You've kept, you have reserved the best for last. Jesus showed us in that illustration, that miracle, he actually illustrated that God hasn't, we're not looking back to the days of Elijah. Oh, for the days of Elijah. Wouldn't it have been great to see what Elijah did on Mount Carmel when he turned the children of Israel back to the Lord their God? Those are great stories. I love them. They encourage me because it shows me what God has done, He's able to do today. However, I don't stop there. I don't just lift my hands and say, Praise God for what you did in those. No, I say, Lord, I see what you've done in Elijah's day but I also know that you always save the best for last we are like the crown reserve of God's of God's God's army on the earth the Bible says in Joel chapter two let me read this Joel chapter two Joel the second chapter So if you ever feel like, man, I just feel like I wasn't born in the right time. ah, man, I wish we lived in a more calm time. Then you don't understand. You're asleep. You don't know what's going on. This isn't a time to start uh, getting angry at God, Lord. Why couldn't I have been born 300 years ago? You know, this isn't the time when things were more quiet and it seemed like we can just live out in a mountain somewhere, not bother anyone, uh, raise a horse and a family in a stable and just be peaceful. You know, you you are asleep if that's the way you think. Because when you understand what generation we're living in, it it makes you very appreciative and excited at what we're about to witness. Joel chapter 2, if you're just tuning in now. Help me share the broadcast. Help me get this word out. Joel chapter two and verse one. Blow the trumpet in Zion. That's what an evangelist is. An evangelist is a trumpet that God has on the earth to blow the alarm, to show, uh, to, to wake people out of sleep, to show them that now's not the time for carousing and dissipation. Now's not the time to be concerned with the cares of this life. Now's not the time to be obsessed with Getting your, you know, there's some families they're more concerned with getting their kids to soccer practice on time than they are with getting their kids to church on time. If hockey practice uh, comes and it comes falls on a Sunday one day, one weekend then they completely prioritize that over church and then they complain when things are you know going down in life and their kids have no desire to serve the lord 20 years from now because they've prioritized everything else over church and then when the time comes where they want their children to prioritize church over everything else they haven't built that in them and so they they live distant from god they have no uh, ability to schedule god in in their own schedules and agendas because you did not set the the pattern for them. they Your children will learn to prioritize what you prioritize and you embed within them to prioritize and schedule in their own day, in their own lives. If you don't schedule God in your week uh, raising kids, then your kids are going to grow up not, you know, if you don't schedule, forget that, just Sundays, that's like the bare minimum. If you don't schedule prayer in your daily schedule, your children are going to grow up not even knowing to pray every day. They'll hear about praying without ceasing, but they won't know to do it. If you don't schedule fasting and prayer and no reading of the word, if you don't have a time set apart to, to read the scriptures to your family, they're going to grow up not knowing that that's actually normal. They're going to think that that's just some extravagant radical practice that the the, the, the the radicals of the faith, oh man, they have special faith. That's not, that's not true. The Bible says in Acts chapter two, every believer had all things in common and they met together They met together uh, to listen to the apostles' doctrine, to break bread, and from fellowship to house to house. So I want to show you um, that if if ultimately you don't schedule those things in your day, your kids are not going to prioritize them. And so I was going off by saying uh, we are the trumpets. An evangelist is the trumpet of God. To blow the alarm, to waken people, awaken people up out of their sleep so that they're not so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good. I don't want to get before God one day and have to explain to Him why I didn't do anything with what he gave me. I don't have to get to God one day and stand before him as we all must appear the judge before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things that we've done in the flesh. Yes, we've passed out of the great white throne judgment. We've passed out of the judgment before God where we're not gonna be judged for our sins. However, we have to appear before the Bema seat, which is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ where we are gonna be judged for what we did as Christians, what we did with the Messiah, of salvation what we did knowing that the hour was late did we not care did we ignore the calls did we ignore the trumpet call did we try and just uh, you know avoid you know i remember growing up in church i left the church i was 12 13 years old i didn't want to hear anything about it i knew that if i died i'd go to hell and then um, you know every so often if there was like an event or there was like a, a, a baptism or whatnot i would go just to pay support for whoever was getting baptized But then, you know, the minister would get up on a Sunday night before the baptismal service and preach on the end times, preach on, you know, that the hour is late, that you need to get right with God, prepare to me. And I hated it. I tuned out. I did everything. Take out my phone, did whatever I could to tune out his voice because I wanted to drown out the trumpet sound so that I can continue on living uh, for myself, living in the appetites of the flesh, living, uh, totally ignoring what is about to happen so that I wouldn't be disturbed? You know, the mess- this message should disturb your spirit if you're not living prepared. We don't talk about Bible prophecy to scare people. We address the topic of Bible prophecy to prepare people. We don't preach Bible prophecy to scare people primarily, although it should put fear in somebody. It should should put a sense of fear in you if you're not prepared. The main motivation for preaching Bible prophecy is to prepare you. To make sure that, like Amos says, prepare to meet thy God. Get yourself in order because the hour is late. So Joel 2 says, blow the trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Well, what's an alarm for? You know, you don't need an alarm to go to bed. You go to bed when you're tired. What do you need an alarm for? You need an alarm when you wake up. And another thing that's interesting is you can't tell me when you the to the minute when you fell asleep last night. You might have scheduled, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay in bed at 10 a.m. Uh, 10 p.m. and I'm gonna shut my eyes and I'm gonna doze off. But you might have fallen asleep at 10:05. You might have fallen asleep at 10:15. Who knows when you actually, you know, your brain went into a new uh, wavelength, a new uh, 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 frequency, you know, you have the delta waves and all that. We, you don't know when you actually, what minute, what second you, you completely fell asleep and dozed off into, into a, another state of consciousness. However, you set an alarm to know what? To know what time you wake up. Most people that are asleep and have no idea what's going on on the earth today, they don't even know they're sleeping. They've dozed off. They've been lulled to sleep. There are some churches that, uh, uh, you know, if you go in, I mean, in the time that we're living in, how could you get up on a Sunday morning and preach a message on like seven keys to a cleaner kitchen or five steps to a better you? How, how can you seeing what is transpiring on the earth today? How could you have uh, conviction in preaching a message like that? How could you have any sense of release to step on a platform, take a mic, and talk about, you know, here's three three ways you can reconnect with lost with uh, loved ones. I mean, we're at eleven fifty nine fifty nine, and you're talking about how you can restore connections with lo- with loved ones. Are you kidding me? That's why I appreciate my church. My church. We. I live in Quebec, Montreal, Quebec. Our church, by government order, uh, was told to shut down. We, we, I think we're allowed 10 people per room in each building. Well, we have 500 people, four or 500 people at our church. How are we going to fit 10 people in each room? You're going to have to go to like, I think if we can do that, the amount of rooms we have, 70 rooms, uh, we have seven rooms, 10 people, that's 70 people. Uh, it, it, you'd have to do like four services at least just to get half the church in. You'd have to do like eight services to get the fullness of the church and, and have uh, each member attend every single week. And so for, we, you know, at the beginning we complied, we said, you know what, let's see if this, uh, this virus is going to take its course or not. And so when we saw that, you know, it wasn't what they projected it to be a 25% fatality rate, mortality rate, it was actually very much lower. I think it's like 0. 0.4, if not less. And so, you know, we <laughs> The church is not given uh, an assignment that we should be like humanitarian and uh, soul winning evangelism. The, the work of saving the lost is just, you know, a side issue. No, this is the primary objective of the church. This is our primary assignment. You know, if people die of COVID or anything else without knowing Jesus, this when you die, that's not the end of it. The Bible says it's appointed to all men. To die once and then comes the judgment. So our church, two weeks ago, made a stand. We opened up. We opened up, regardless of what the government said. And um, we, we were on the news, we were on CTV News, we were on the Canadian and uh, national news and stuff, and uh, we got some na- nasty hate mail and stuff. I'm not a pastor of that church, I just attend that church. And then last week we opened up again, the police were there in presence. Uh, they didn't issue out one ticket, which is awesome. But I say all that to show you that you can't attend a church that takes this Bible as some like, and the problem of sin in mankind as some side issue, that if, you know, ultimately we're here just to provide support for the community, and then uh, when everything's back to normal, we'll stand up, we'll get back to winning. No. I mean, look at Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told that if they didn't bow to the worship of the idol, the golden image which they set up, then they would burn in a furnace that Nebuchadnezzar would heat up. What did they do? King, it's easy for us to answer this. Now, understand, in a day and an age where Christianity is not favorable, Christianity is, is looked down upon, Christianity and people that associate with Christ are actually uh, are actually like seen as as uh, holding back progression in society. When you live in a day and an age like that, you have to be ready to take a stand. My pastor said it. You know, he, there's a pastor in Edmonton, I believe, Pastor um, Coates. He's in jail. He's in a maximum, in a jail cell in Edmonton, a maximum security prison where they emptied out 500 inmates because the, they feared a COVID spread. And now they're throwing this guy in because he decided to have church and go back to, to, to making, taking a stand for God. And so they threw him in prison, and he's in jail. He think he has a 14-day sentence, something like that. That's a guy who doesn't take this as some like fairy tale story. That's a guy who understands that the master's coming soon. I'm not going to be found sidelined and idle, hoping things get back to normal. No, I've had enough. Enough is enough. We were going to do a crusade last year. The city of Montreal wouldn't even give us a permit to do one. Anything that gets in the way of winning the loss, has, you have no business obeying that commandment. You have no business. Paul uh, was a convict because he, f- he refused to stop preaching Christ no matter where he was. You look at Peter and John. They're on trial because they healed a man and they're told no longer to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. What did they do? hey, listen to me, whether it be right in your sight or in the sight of God to obey you rather than God, you be the judge. As for us, we'll never stop speaking what we have heard and what we've seen. Then if you go in Acts chapter 5, it says, we must obey God rather than men churches in the United States that the state allows them to open and they're still closed because, you know, we want to love our neighbors. and There's no better way to love your neighbor than to get them snatched out of the fire of hell and put into the kingdom of God. Did Jesus go around having like hugging booths? booths? You know, here's the love of God. Uh, We're we're actually going to be issuing out hugging booths today. Uh, Hugs at our hugging booth today. So if anyone's in need of a hug, you know, we want to be there for our neighbors and our, we want to be there for our community. You look at some mission statements that some churches have, you would even, you'd have to like question whether they even believe the Bible, whether they even preach the Bible. We're here to serve our community. I'm not against those things. We serve the community. You know, you should build orphanages. You should, you know, we should be engaged. Our church feeds 150 families a week because of a food, uh, due to our food kitchen program, we do all that, but those are all secondary and tertiary, the primary mission of the church is to win the loss at any cost, and this, you know, this message you can tell, I don't know what the viewership is, Restream still hasn't fixed the problem, so I have no idea if the viewers have tanked from this, because people don't like to hear this, well Romans 13 brother, you know, we got to obey governing authorities, Okay, Romans 13, right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were violators of Romans 13. They, you know... They they obviously were displeasing God when they took a stand, and that's why when they went into the furnace and the, burn, the blazing fire, they ended up getting consumed on the spot, and that was the end of, and actually Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are stories of you should actually do Romans 13, and no matter what the issue, even if they say you shouldn't pray, you should obey, because God honors those that obey laws, even if they violate his higher law. So people that say Romans 13, they don't even understand the the, per, the context of Romans 13. Romans 13 is in effect as long as it doesn't violate our obligations to God. The moment, because remember, there is no authority that's in place except it come from God. But God, notice, is the one who places the people in authority. God is the number one authority. Hebrews 10.25 doesn't say... Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of son, some, unless there's a pandemic. No, it says not forsaking, no matter what co- is transpiring on the earth. Matter of fact, we are to do so all the more, seeing that the day of Jesus Christ is approaching. The more we get closer... To the rapture of the church, the more we should be meeting, the more we should be engaging in meetings, the more I mean people are hungrier than ever for a move of God right now. People are hungry, they're thirsty for truth. The churches that have opened in the states and have opened in Canada, that guy in Pastor Coates in Edmonton, his church is is packed. They don't even have enough room. And this, this Sunday, another pastor stood up and preached, and he, I think he got thrown in prison, and they said, we're gonna keep going until all our pastors are in prison. Our church in Montreal, I saw people, I didn't even recognize who they were. People are coming in. Those that are really you know, willing to do business with God, God is drawing in the army. Those that have taken church as just like a community center that we come, you know, our our family did it, our great-grandfather did it, our great-great-grandfather, actually, he pegged in one of the, one of the founding uh, pillars of this church, so that's why they attend, the moment, the Bible says, the moment that tribulation arises because of the word, Matthew 13, they immediately bow out. They immediately wither away because they don't have firm root in them. That means they don't understand why they go to church in the first place. I don't attend church because, you know, I want I I have friends there and I have a lot of networking uh, possibility at church. And, you know, ultimately I'm an evangelist. How am I not going to? That's not why I go to church. I go to church because first and foremost foremost the bible says that we are to love the lord our god with all of our heart with all our soul with all our strength with all our mind that's the number one commandment that jesus said we are to upkeep and number two the bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so if i love the lord my god and he tells me i shouldn't forsake then i'm going to attend church and then number three number three reason why I go to church is because I'm a part of the body. And the Bible says a body, a body part can't say to another body part that I have no need of you. Billy Graham used to say, if you say you love God but have no desire to be in his church, you, are, you do not love Christ. And you have to reevaluate your love for God. Billy Graham said, if you say you love God but have no desire to be connected to his body, you do not love Christ. You're disconnected. You're out of the vision. So when someone rises up and says, you can't attend church, you know, we gave them the benefit of the doubt. Now, enough's enough. The whole New Testament was written by convicts who violated what we would see to be Romans 13. Uphold the law. Uphold the law, not at any cost. You uphold the law until the law violates God's highest law, which is the word of God. That has nothing to do with what I wanted to get in today, but it was just in my spirit. Verse two, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people shall come great and strong. That's you and that's me. You who are watching on this broadcast. This is the category of people that you're standing with. This is the, the, the camp that you belong to. This is the class of Christians that you belong to. How do I know that? Because you would have checked out the moment I started bringing up Romans 13, if you didn't belong to this class of Christians. There are categories of Christians. Jesus even said there are weak ones. There are ones who have zero faith. There's ones who have great faith. And then there's those who have the spirit of faith. Daniel had the spirit of faith. And the Bible says very clearly, when the king said, you can't pray to any other gods for 30 days. Remember 14 days to flatten the curve? Yeah, it's turned to be like a year and, what are we, a year and a month? A year and two months now? We're on the year, we've passed the year anniversary. There was a pastor in Tampa Bay that on day one, he opened up. He did not care. He got thrown into jail. And he was out in half an hour and his church since then has been open. And uh, the law actually changed in Florida as a result of that. The governor got up and he said, that's unconstitutional. So you see, you can put an end to it the moment you take a stand. If you don't take a stand, the devil will continue to take inch by inch until he has you completely. Daniel was told not to pray for 30 days. You know what? If he was a modern day Christian, he would have gone into his room and said, you know what? I can do 30 days without prayer. if that command was given today, most Christians wouldn't even have to change anything in their daily life because they don't even pray within a 30 day uh, a 30 day timeline. You have people that are criticizing our church about you know um, the beauty about religion, other Christians, the beauty about Christianity and serving God is you know you can meet him anywhere you are and you know, just just do Zoom, just do Facebook Live for the mean. Why do you have to do this? You know, we're to be community standards. This is not upholding that. And So when's the last time you went to church pre-pandemic? You know, they, these people are priesters They call them Christi, Christmas and Easter Christians, priesters And they're telling us that we shouldn't attend church in the pandemic when they didn't even attend church pre-pandemic, and have no plans to attend church post-pandemic. So Daniel receives that order. He can't pray to anyone else for 30 days. He could have been, well, 30 days to flatten the curve. Instead, what did he do? From the very first day, he doesn't just go in. He could have went into his bedroom and prayed under his sheets softly. Nobody will ever know. I mean, nobody's like in his bed with him, keeping watch on him. You know what he did? He opened up his windows and he prayed Three times that day, as was his custom, towards Jerusalem, he made sure everyone heard, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what happened? He got summoned, thrown into a lion's den, and the God in whom he trusted sent an angel to shut the mouths of lion, lions. And in one day, not only was Daniel delivered, but the legislation was changed in favor. In favor of Daniel and his God. And not only that, an edict was released that anyone that speaks a word against the God of Daniel will be thrown into the lion's den. I tell, that's why the Bible says there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. Not only will God not make the weapon formed against the church in this day prosper, the very weapon that's been formed against the church will be used against the wicked ones that are trying to suppress, crush, oppress, and hinder the church from fulfilling its mission. In Jesus' name. And as my mentor Tiff Shuttlesworth says, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, Holy men don't take orders from unholy men. Holy men do not take orders or commands from unholy men. I see a generation of believers, men and women, rising up like Daniel to stand up, take their place in history. And there is a book being written about you and about me and about this generation of believers who refuse to bow to Baal nor kiss his feet. And as such, God is going to promote you. God is going to vindicate you. Anyone that takes a stand never gets bulldozed. Everyone that takes the stand always sets themselves up for divine promotion, divine multiplication, and divine increase. And that'll be your story in Jesus' name. A people shall come great and strong, the like of which has never been witnessed. Has never been witnessed. Notice how it doesn't say, and a people shall come, but it won't even be compared to the early, it won't even be compared to like the early days, days of Elijah. Don't even compare it to the ministry of Elisha, who raised a uh, couple of people from the dead, whose very bones raised someone from the dead. Don't compare it to that. It's not going to be anything like that. Uh, it's going to be far inferior. So don't read those stories and go out and think you can do all those things because a people will come, they'll be strong, but not that strong. No, it says the like of which has never been seen before. So he's not saying it'll be even on equal playing field. It'll be the like of which has never been witnessed. The world has not seen the power that ha- God has to manifest and will manifest through this end time church. So I want to go through God's end time agenda very quickly, and then we're going to pray. And, um, and I believe this is going to be of great benefit to you, not only to put that urgency that I have in my spirit into you, but to, to give you a plan of action. Anytime God, you know, everybody loves to focus on the negative part of prophecy, However, there's a positive side to prophecy, to end-time prophecy. Yes, there will be doctrines of demons. Yes, there will be seducing spirits. We understand that difficult times will come. But we need to locate what God... You know, God never tells the church you're going to go through difficult times without giving them a plan, not only to be exempt from the difficult times, but the ability to have dominion and to prosper in those difficult times. And you can see that all throughout the Bible. So, first and foremost, you have to understand that uh unless you're awakened to the signs of these times you'll never do anything you'll never have any plan of action you'll never this message won't even interest you matthew 26 the bible says jesus was praying in the garden of gethsemane and he returns to his disciples who are sleeping and three times their eyes were heavy and they were sleeping how could they be why was jesus In anguish and distress and praying, and the Bible says in being in agony, he prayed more fervently. Why was he upping his prayer life? Why was he upping the pressure he applied in prayer? Why was he more engaged than ever before when the rest were sleeping? What was the difference? Because Jesus knew what was about to happen. He was about to go to the cross. So as such, he prepared himself to secure grace to make it through it. He said, if this cup shall not pass, then I'll take it. But Lord, you know, if uh, Thy will be done, but God give me grace to get through it. And that's what God did for Jesus. The other ones were sleeping. Why were they sleeping? They had no clue what was about to happen. Jesus kept talking about the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the, sons of, uh, the hands of men. He'll be scourged. He'll be whipped. He'll be bruised. He'll be broken. He'll be crucified. On the third day, he'll rise again. They they heard him say that, but oftentimes the Bible says they did not understand this saying. So because they didn't understand the signs of the times, they didn't prepare themselves They were falling asleep when they should be praying. They were laid back when they should be engaging. They were sitting idle when they should be mobile. And that's the state of many people in the church today. That's why Luke 21, let me read this. Luke chapter 21. I hope this is helping you today. Luke 21 and verse 34. The Bible says, take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. Dissipation. You know what carousing, dissipation is? It means living a life of carelessness. Living a life where you don't give heed to the commandments of God because your agenda goes ahead uh, of God's agenda. Pretty much like I said before, you're more concerned with getting your kids to soccer practice than you are in getting them in church and training them up in the way that they should go. Take heed, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, with the cares of this life, with drunkenness. Not just drunkenness, being drunk. There's a lot of people who aren't in the the church that don't get drunk on wine or on beer or or spirits or whatnot, but they're drunk on Netflix. They're drunk on uh, Amazon Prime. They're drunk on uh, everything else that has zero eternal value. You know what David prayed in Psalm 19? Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity, vainless things. The ecclesiastical preacher said vanity of vanities, all is vanity in comparison to our eternal mandate. And the Bible says that people's hearts will be weighed down in the last days. And you're to take heed to yourself that you're not part of that company of people that are weighed down. You know what happens when you're weighed down? If I put a hundred pounds of bricks on you, you wouldn't be able to run as fast. If I put a thousand pounds of bricks on you, you'd be crushed and wouldn't be able to move at all. People are weighed down by this. And as such, they're not on the move for God. And if they are on the move, a lot of them are going way too slow. They're not keeping divine pace. And it says, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it shall come as a snare on all those who dwell upon the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy. What happens when you pray? Jesus said, pray always that you enter not into temptation. What's the temptation? He's not necessarily just talking about the temptation of sexual immorality or the temptation of, uh, of, um, uh, of drunkenness, the temptation of uh, uh, idolatry. He's not just talking about the temptation of the big things of, you know, committing murder the temptation you know if i don't pray for 2 weeks i'm i don't think i'm going to be tempted to kill someone i just don't have that in me so he's not talking about the temptation to do those massive huge um rampant not rampant but uh evident sins he's talking about just the the minimal the things the little foxes that spoil the vine the sins of 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 being weighed down the sins of Of looking at vanity, the sins of having your mind so set on earthly things that you have no concern or care for eternity. You know, a hundred years from now, the car you drive, the house you live in, the buildings you've bought and acquired, they're not going to matter. You're not going to look back and say, man, looking over the banister of heaven, man, those were the good days. The Bible says there's a parable of a man who had a great crop come in one year. And when he saw how much he had, he said, you know what? I don't have big enough barns to store it all in. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to store up my goods. And I'm going to say, soul, you have many goods lit up for many years. Take ease, drink, be merry, be at comfort, live for retirement, store up enough money. So those last 15, 20 years you have on earth are going to be z- zero stress, We can cruise, we can go on vacations, we can, you know, uh, just, just get off the grid for a couple of months, take ease. And God appeared to him that very night and said, you fool! You fool! The Lord is literally saying people that live like that are fools! Dummies! Idiots! Ignorant! To the, you know, God has written and inscri- ascribed or engraved eternity in our hearts. Some people have so suppressed the reality of eternity that they have zero plans in their own lives that would affect, that would even affect, they have no treasure stored up for them in eternity nothing that will be proven to be valuable 100 years from now. I read it last week. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that on that day the fire is going to test our, our works that we did that we did and built up on the earth and the fire is going to test what quality of works we've stored up for ourselves and many people though they're saved their works are going to be burnt up and they're going to suffer they're going to suffer loss. Those are the people Christians that are carnally minded and it all traces back to their are blinded to the time they live in. And so I want to go through, I want to show you first and foremost, before we move on to what God's plan is for us individually and as, uh, in general as the church, I want to go through five signs that you can see evidently on the earth today that prove that the return is near even at the door. Number one, the number one sign, and I'm putting this as number one because it's the, the prophecy that's been so... Um, that was fulfilled in our generation, pretty much. Not mine, but, you know, my my grandparents saw it. It's something you can read about in news. And this is one of the final, the final prophecy that Jesus said, that this generation that sees this happen, they're going to see the return of Jesus. They're going to receive, they're going to see my return. Number one is the Israel being reborn as a nation again. Matthew 24, 32. Learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. When he talks about the fig tree, every one of his listeners would immediately identify exactly what he was speaking about. They knew. They, didn't, they, they knew exactly the, what the fig tree symbolized, and that was the nation of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, first of all, he prophesied the total uh, destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 20, 23 and verse 37 and 39. He talks about Jerusalem being laid desolate, But then in Matthew 24, and what we just read, he says there's going to be a day where though Jerusalem and Israel is scattered, there's going to be a day where I'm going to call my people back together. Ezekiel says, I'm going to put a hook in my people's mouths around the earth, and I'm going to draw them back into, into Jerusalem, into my nation, into Israel. Well, from the year 70 AD, which Jesus said, there's not one stone that would be left upon the temple and all these buildings are going to be broken down. That happened in 70 AD when Rome invaded Jerusalem. They, uh, they took down every single wall of the temple. And because there was, you know, it's an interesting prophecy if you study it, because there was gold in the crevices of the temple and they didn't want to waste the gold, they actually tore down every stone one upon another and then set it ablaze. They like, Put it on fire so that they can melt the gold and preserve it and bring it back, bring it back to Rome. So when Jesus says something, and it's he's being literal, he's not being figurative. When he said there won't be one stone laid upon another, that wasn't some metaphor, that was literal, literally fulfilled in the year 70 AD. And from the 70 AD, there was the diaspora, that was the scattering of the Jews all across the earth. That's so why you have Jews everywhere, and everywhere they settled, it seems to me that because of the blessing of God on their life, they ended up getting to the top, no matter where they were. I mean, you look at the Nobel Prize winners in the, since its inception, I think 48% of Nobel Prize winners are Jewish people, and Jews only make up, I don't know, if it's like 0.8 or 1% of the world's population, not even. I think they're like maybe 15 million on earth. Or Sorry, 15 million in Israel. If I might actually be over, over, um, over exaggerating there. It might actually be less. And because of the blessing of God, everywhere they were scattered, they ended, up, they ended up building strong. However, in the year 1948, after the war, World War II, Israel and Jews around the world were granted the plot of land that was given to him the plot of land that was given to Abraham, and it's not in its fullness, there's way more that God promised to Abraham, but um, essentially just Jerusalem, and the surrounding areas, and what we see as modern Israel today, was given back to Israel, and in one day, Isaiah 66, I believe it is, says, can a nation be born in one day, in one day, May 14, 1948, Israel was reborn as a nation, Jesus said the generation that sees that happen will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. If we want to go with a biblical generation, 120 years, at most, 1948, 120 years would be 2068. I'm not giving dates. I'm not giving hours. I'm not giving a time. No man can set the day or the hour, but from what my reading is and my interpretation of this, it's, it seems to be that we don't have much, to, <laughs> we don't have a hundred years. I, I always say it, I'd be surprised if the rapture doesn't happen by 2030. And so we have nine years, if, if it is the 2030, I'm, I'm not giving, like, go out, don't go out and take out the snippet and, uh, you know, make some YouTube TJ kanji exposed false prophet because I'm prof- I'm not prophesying 2030. I'm saying I personally would not be surprised. I I would be not be surprised if the rapture happens before them. So if we had nine years to go, what should the church be doing? Like I said before, you have pastors that are living in these days and they're so oblivious of it. I don't know if it's because they don't want to disturb the sheep. It's almost like you know when. The doctor comes out and he's like kind of like evading the fact that you actually just have like six months left to live and he's trying to like get around it, but he's giving you hints that you only have six months to live, but he's not telling you plainly and he's trying to like avoid the talk. I mean, doctors never want to give that talk. They never want to engage in that conversation. They try and avoid it at all costs, but if they have to, they do. So there's a lot of pastors that are like trying to avoid Just in case some people are offended. Just in case some people are uncomfortable. I don't care if people are uncomfortable with this message. If I saw that there was a a, a red dot sight aimed at your your chest, would I not bring it up because I wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable about your appearance? Or would I immediately yell out, hey, duck, there's a gun aimed at your chest. You got to run. Someone's out to kill you. No, I, I would be all the more forceful. Number one, Israel's rebirth as a as a nation began the countdown to Armageddon. Number two, tech advancements such as we've never seen before. How can we know? Where, the, where does the Bible prophesy about tech advancements? Well, I'm glad you asked. Daniel chapter 12. The Bible says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro. That's signifying travel being increased on the earth. Many shall run to and fro. If you study it, he's he's actually prophesying, Daniel's prophesying that there's going to be a far more rapid state of travel. People aren't going to like move to... Uh, Ephesus, and live in Ephesus the rest of their life, and never leave Ephesus, and if everyone, anyone ever live, left Ephesus, even for you know, a couple of years, they throw a big going away party, because they're never coming back, no, the Bible says in the last day, people are going to go, and they're going to return on a dime, to and fro, travel's going to increase, well, up until the last hundred years, if you, wanna, <laughs> if you wanted to move from Rome to Athens, I mean, you better, if you wanted to see Athens and just visit the Parthenon or whatever, you had to like gather all your goods, get like 10 donkeys to carry caravans of goods and stuff. And if you were going, you were moving there. It wasn't a two week trip for your anniversary. You were moving there for (laughs) several years, maybe a decade, if not life. If you were going to make that trip, you weren't going just on business for a couple of days. No. Now, if I want to go to, I can go to Rome. Well, maybe not now because of travel restrictions, but before the pandemic, uh, pandemic, anyways, before all this, if I wanted to go to Rome and see the the Colosseum, I can literally get there in like six or seven hours from here, see it, and then be back within a day's time be back in six, seven hours. You could never do that before. Daniel said that is what's going to happen. That's right. Cedric's even talking about, uh, he's bringing up trains and then flying, flying, flying devices. They're actually, they're, they're, they're producing that there's, there's works and experiments going towards that where there's going to be, um, cars that can actually lift off the earth and I mean, you're looking at in the last couple of years, we've gone from gas-powered to now Tesla, battery-powered, That the performance of those battery-powered cars. You can get to 160 miles an hour, 100 kilometers in like 2.6 seconds, which you'd have to buy like a Lamborghini to get ta- that type of power. Well, travel's increasing. Anyways, not to overemphasize that point. Moving on to the next. In the same verse, it says, and knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall increase. He's not saying, well... You know, it's easy to prophesy that from, you know, in 10 years from now, obviously there's going to be an increase in knowledge. Somebody's going to discover something, obviously. He's saying that there's going to be an unprecedented jump in knowledge. And it's going to be quick. And it's going to be, it's going to be, um. unforetold. Nobody, you take someone from the year 4 AD and put them in the year 1750. And they won't have such, uh, how do I say it? They won't have much to, to get used to, is what I'm trying to say. There won't be a great gap between the two. Yes, there have been great advancements since, but it won't be some massive leap into the future where they don't even know where they are at. You take someone from 1750 and put them into 1930, and they'll have to like get some psychiatric counseling to get used to... To, to the day and age they live in. And then go on even further. You take someone from 1990 to 2020 and they'll be blown away. So it's like it took a millenn- two millennial to like have a, a slight change of things. And then it took 200 years to blow past every technological advancement since the dawn of time, there's been more, I think there's been more discoveries in technology and whatnot in the, last, and, and, uh, in the last 20 years than there has been in the last 1500 years. I mean, it's just one after the other. Daniel prophesied of that. Number three, morality will have a sharp decline. That's right, Cedric's saying, we're we're going to be going to Mars. They have have, uh, plans, uh, Tesla, Elon Musk is planning on having a trip to Mars. I mean, look at space travel. Those are all prophesied in the book of Daniel. Number three, morality will have a sharp decline. 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says that there will be many. Let me read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Know this, that in the last days, there will be perilous times that will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. There comes the selfie project that our generation was plagued with. Lovers of money. So you're going to see greed accelerate. boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, no self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he goes on, even talking about the church, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So there's not only going to be a decline in the world, there's going to be a decline in the church. The church's morality and the church's uh, conviction of its mandate and mission. They'll have a form of godliness. They'll look godly. They'll look holy. They'll look like a church. They'll look like they're exemplifying God's will. But they'll deny the power. Speak bad about the gifts of the Spirit. Speak bad against the baptism and the Holy Ghost. Speak bad against the Holy Spirit Himself. Speak bad against miracles. Anyone that wants to have a miracle ministry automatically labeled as, um, as false prophets and and false and, and doing false signs and wonders. Anyone, if there's a healing, they attribute it immediately to the devil. Paul's saying there's gonna be people that have a form of godliness and they're gonna deny the power. They're gonna try and get on doing church andese things, Churchy things, speaking Church and language without actually walking in the power that God has given the church. And then you go, <laughs> in the world, I mean, people, people are more lost than ever. If, you, if you're not convinced with the depravity of man, man and to the length it's gotten to right now, sign up to Net, Netflix or just go on Google and just look at the movies and shows that are being, that are being listed on Netflix. You're not convinced of the depravity of Man. man? then you've never been in any city ever in your life. You're not convinced of the depravity of man? Take up pop-up filters on your internet browser and see what pops up and see what the devil's trying to shove into our generation's face. You're not convinced of the depravity of man? Go look at what the pornographic industry takes in every year. Go look at what the abortion industry takes in every year. Not only from the abortions and taxpayer money that go towards abortion, but when they take the fetuses and unborn cells, unborn babies, and take their cells and sell it to vaccine companies or scientists that are you know uh, utilizing fetal tissues and cells to come up with new things or whatnot, go see how much money Planned Parenthood is, use, is, is receiving from those. Why do you think they, they're so adamant to stay open? The, the abortion, the actual abortion money is not the main, the main, the main uh, resources that they take in. It's not the main game of their of their uh, their engagement. That's not what the, where the money is coming in. The main money comes in when they're selling. Anyways, it's so wicked, it, it, it's it's not even fun. To, it's not fun to talk about. But anyways, look at morality and sharp decline. The Bible says that that's one of the signs of the times, and I mean, look up until the 1900s, people still had reverence for the church. People still had some sort of like, you know. If a, if a pastor came by, they'd take their hat off, whatnot. Now, bleepity, bleep, bleep, bleep. Go look at any type of, you know, some of the comments we get on Facebook Live, on YouTube. Some of the messages directly I get, you know, there's no respect for God and there's no respect for any, of, any anyone that represents God. Number four, the Bible talks about apostasy. That there's going to be a great uh, departure from the faith. That's talking about people that are in the, ch- in the church, in the faith at once, and then departed. You can't depart from some- somewhere you haven't first been to. So he's not talking about the world getting more worldly. He's talking about the church being more worldly. Number five, natural disasters on a grand scale. Matthew 24 says there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be famines, there's going to be droughts, there's going to be... Um, in Luke 21, it says that the roaring of the seas—that's talking about tsunamis. You can look back at 2006, the Indonesian one, wiped out several hundred thousand people. And uh, you look through the last hundred years; there's been more earthquakes in the last hundred years in documented history than there has been in uh, in all of in all of history, from what science has been able to dis- been able to uh, to measure. There's been more earthquakes in the last hundred years. I mean, you look, go on Google and just set, just search earthquakes today and there's a list of earthquakes. Seismic to high seismic ratings on the seismic scale or whatever the scale's called. I was in one in Guatemala, shook my bed, moved me like six feet from the wall that I was stuck to. Took out several of the, the places we were scheduled to preach in the bible says there's not only going to be more famines more pa- pestilence more earthquakes the intensity of those things are going to be like birth pangs. birth pangs and they're going to increase in intensity just like the contractions in t- increase in intensity until the child is finally born so that these things these signs are going to increase in intensity until the final delivery which is the rapture Moving on. So what are the next prophetic things on God's clock? What's the next major event that's going to happen? First uh, Thessalonians 4:13. First Thessalonians: 4:13. The Bible says the following words. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning, brethren, those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Very important. Meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be always with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now skip over the First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. This is what the scripture says, 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. beloved i tell you a mystery we will not all sleep we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed we shall be changed paul here is uh teaching about an event that's going to happen that is called the catching away People say, well, I don't see the word rapture anywhere in the Bible. Yeah, because the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek and in uh, Hebrew. And so the Greek word is, um, I think it's in Latin, it's reptizo. And in Greek, it's harpazo. The Greek word for rapture is harpazo. And the Latin is reptizo, which is the Latin Vulgate. That's where people started to take on the term rapture. The rapture is not to be confused with the second coming of Jesus Christ. I read it before. The rapture is when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The second coming is when the Lord returns with his saints, which is us, and we return to the earth to make war against the Antichrist and against those who've lined up up with him. That's the battle of Armageddon. That is seven years after the rapture. How do we know that? How do we know that there's a distinction between the two? Well, number one, if you study the book of Revelations from Revelation one through four, the ra- the church, the church is men- mentioned. The word ecclesia is mentioned, I think, twenty two times in the first three chapters of Revelation. Come Revelation chapter four and verse one. Paul, uh, Pete no, John hears a voice from heaven saying, "Come up hither," and a window was open and he went up, and from verse one to the end of the book of Revelation, the church is not mentioned once throughout the, the remainder of the book. So you can see that if God didn't mention church from Revelation 4 to 22, then obviously there's not going to be a church presence. From Revelation 4 to 22, which is the, uh, the seven years. It's the, uh, the, uh, it's the account. It's the prophetic account of the seven years of tribulation that are going to happen on the earth. The, the vials of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, which leads to my number two point. The rapture precedes the second coming. And there is a rapture because number two, the Bible says we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you study what the tribulation is, it is not the day of God's favor. It is the day of God's wrath. And we have not been appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. So that being said, I'm not going to be here. And you can see that throughout scripture. Noah was told, I'm flooding the earth, but make an ark. And that ark was a type of the cross. Through that ark, I'm going to lift you up above the waves. You look at, Sodom and Gomorrah. God said I'm going to destroy Sodom by fire, but go, preserve Lot, get him out. Take him out before the fire falls. You look at Egypt. God says I'm going to rain, f- I'm going to I'm going to um I'm going to deal with the Egyptians. I'm going to deal with the army of Egypt. I'm going to deal with Pharaoh. Come through the waters. The waters are going to open for you. But the world is going to be swallowed up in the the waters. The waters swallowing up represented God's wrath against Pharaoh and against his armies. But Israel, which is a type of the church, went through it. We weren't swallowed up by it. We were taken up. So you can know. Matthew 24, if you don't read it in this knowledge, in this context, in in the understanding of these things, then you're going to think Jesus is is saying that we're going to have to go through that tribulation and that great persecution. I'm not saying there's not going to be tribulation. Jesus said there will be tribulation, even leading up to the rapture. There's going to be increased tribulation. There's going to be increased uh, persecution. There's going to be increased pressure put on the church. That is a no-brainer. But it's not going to be the great tribulation. The great tribulation, Jesus said, such as has never been witnessed since the dawn of time. And unless those days had been shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Who is he talking about? Most people say, well, the elect, that must be be the Christians. That are on the earth in those days. He's not talking about born again spirit filled Christians. He's talking about the elect. Which is the 144,000. The 12,000 from every tribe. The 12 tribes of Israel. That are going to be set apart. That God is going to set his seal on them. To be evangelists in those 7 years. They're going to be Jewish people. That God's going to raise up. Who are going to recognize that they missed the first boat. And that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And now they're going to have a burden. To go and win the world for the, for the Lord. And so those that will come in to to the kingdom through those seven years, those are the elect. Those are the ones um, that God has chosen and set apart throughout those seven years. And unless those days had been shortened, none of them would be saved. But for their sake, those those days will be be shortened. So number one, there's the rapture of the church. And I want to make it clear that um, the enemy is trying to get our generation ready For This rapture you look at Hollywood the movies are being pumped out. You have first it came out with Independence Day Then if you watch the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and the Avengers and Thanos just snapping his finger and every body just uh, half the earth just disappearing and and uh, Evaporating into thin air and nobody able to witness where they've been, you know This is something the enemy knows is gonna happen. And so he's getting the earth ready to be able to, you know, get a natural understanding or a natural, a natural, natural reason or explanation for why all of a sudden uh, one billion or one point five billion people are suddenly missing, he has to prep them. If it came on suddenly without preparation and they had no clue what was going on, it would cause chaos. And then, you know, immediately they can go to the Bible and see, wow, this is, and you know, everyone would get saved. Nobody would have accepted the mark of the beast. But New Age. New Age spiritualism actually uh, discusses that the earth one day is going to purge itself of those holding back progress. It's going to purge itself of those that are stuck in traditional ways, those that are bound up by religion and war and whatnot. So they group us all in with the the same category of people. New Age actually teaches that there's going to be a day where the earth purges itself of all those things. What do you think that is? That's the rapture of the church. In Matthew 13, Jesus said very clearly that there's the tares and then there's the good wheat. And when the harvesters, the angels, go out, they're charged to bundle up the tares and burn them, but to bring the wheat into my barn. The burning, that's the fire of God's wrath, that the tares, the wicked ones, those that rejected Christ, those that will go through the great tribulation, they're going to suffer the fire of God's judgment. The vials being poured out. But he said, as for the wheat, gather them into my barn. And that's talking about the rapture of the church. That's talking about um, the harvest angels. Jesus coming back with the glory of his father and his angels. And the catching away, the snatching away of those who are in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 14. Those who are still in Christ. They will be caught up. They'll be snatched up. They'll be seized by by force. And then, you know, you have people that say, well, how can that be? Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this. Let me read this for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says... Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had already come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of Christ, that's talking about the the second coming. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. People mean, they take that to mean that um, the apostasy of the church. But that's not what Paul is saying. The falling away, if you study its original language and its original context and all that, he's actually talking about the the better translation would have been the the departure. Not the falling away. Because falling away is insinuating that there's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a turning away from the faith. He's not saying that. Paul is actually saying the falling away is, is actually a departure. And not departure from the faith. Because remember, in First Timothy 4.1, when he says there's going to be a departure from the faith, he's very clear about his words. He doesn't just say um, there's going to be a departure. He says there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be a departure from the faith. From the faith. Here, he doesn't say from the faith. He just talks about the departure. Unless the departure comes first, which I believe is the rapture, and then the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. That's when the Antichrist will rise up. And we read on further that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, talking about the Holy Ghost in us, in the believer, will restrain until he's taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So the Holy Spirit-filled church is the heat of 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. And the Bible says the Antichrist, which the scripture says is going to rise and manifest himself at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, he can't even reveal himself. He can't even manifest himself until, until the departure, the rapture. He, the Holy Ghost in us, the church is taken out of the way. Anybody with basic understanding of dominion and the keys that God has given us as born-again believers and the authority we have in the name of Jesus Christ, anybody who has understanding of that is going to understand this. Why? Because if the Antichrist would show his ugly face right now, I can locate him, take a plane, find out where he's at, cast his sorry behind out of that person, and that, that would be the end of it. He'd have to find another body to, body to come into as long as a church is here who's been given authority to cast out devils to deal with satanic forces and that we are the head, not the tail, we are the the church, the body of him who is the head of all things, principalities, powers, even the the darkest form of darkness, even the most vile form of evil is under our feet. When you understand that, he can't manifest himself as long as I'm here. Because with one command issued in the name of jesus he'd be caught out but the moment the church is gone then he's going to show his ugly face then he's going to rise to prominence then he's going to get the whole world after him then he's going to show lying signs and wonders and he's going to mislead many so bas- just basic understanding on those things shows you that there's there's two distinct Uh, events and then the second thing that's going to happen is the second coming that's seven years after the rapture and that's when Jude says I see prophesying um speaking of Enoch's prophecy that says I see the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints so the rapture is Jesus coming for his bride the second coming is Jesus coming back with his bride we are going to come back with him to the earth so what are we to do what should we be doing now that we know all this, I'm going to run through three basic things that we have to be preoccupying ourselves with. And uh, Jesus said, when the master comes, will he find someone working? Well, what should be we working? Will he find? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this type of faith? How can we live in faith? What, should, what are acts of faith? What are corresponding actions of faith that we can perform here now? One, stay holy. This is where I'm going to get preaching. So all that was teaching. Now we're going to get to preaching. Stay holy. The Bible says be holy even as I am holy. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. This is what the Bible says. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it shall be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, since all this is going to be burnt up, what manner of lives or persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. I'm not confined to this earth. I am not tied to this earth. I have no allegiance to this earth. I have no loyalty to this earth. I do not love the world. Not I love the people in this world. I do not love the system of this world. I do not love the wealth of this world. I do not love the materialistic things of this world. I do not love the world nor the things of this world. For all that is of the world and of the and of the lusts of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, those who do those things are passing away, but he that is a has his allegiance tied to God and the will of God? That man shall live forever. It's like 1 John two fifteen. The Bible says we're to look forward to a new cre- a new creation, a new heavens. I- I'm just a sojourner. I'm passing through, baby. I'm not here to stay. There's a new heavens, a new earth, and a mansion with my name on it. That's what causes me to stay holy, to keep pure, to make sure that I hate defiled garments to make sure that I keep a firm check on account of myself, lest I also should be disqualified from the inheritance incorruptible, the inheritance undefiled that is reserved in heaven for me. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Jesus is coming back For a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle, not a worldly church, not a church that rolls around in the mud of this earth, a clean church, a church that is above reproach, a church that practices righteousness. That hates lawlessness. And loves righteousness. The Bible says in Romans 13. Let me read this. Romans 13. I'll just quote it. Knowing that now is high time. To awake out of salvation. Awake out of your sleep sorry. And awaken to salvation. For our redemption is nearer. Than when we first believed. Awake out of sleep and awaken to salvation. Then he goes on, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make any provision for the flesh. Titus 2, the Bible says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that we should deny ungodliness, not flirt with ungodliness, not give off this stupid doctrine of demons that God knows my heart. As you're committing adultery or sleeping with... Women that aren't your wife, or men that aren't your husband, premarital sex, or any type of sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, whatever it is, name it whatever it is. All of it falls short of the glory of God. All of it is worthy of condemnation and destruction. And the Bible says we're not to give an excuse for our sin and say, well, you know, even though I'm doing all these things, the Lord knows my heart. He knows. The Bible doesn't say He's gonna judge you according to your heart each man shall be judged, Revelation 21, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, and the book of life, and each man was judged according to the book, according to the works that were written therein. The Bible says that each man shall be rewarded according to his works, Jesus said, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works. Jesus said, you hear my words, blessed are those who do and keep it. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he that has my commandments and keeps it, those are the the ones that love me, not those that talk about my commandments. Psalm 50 says, what right have you to keep my commandments in your mouth since you have set my word behind you and have trampled on my commandments? There are people, believers, who think they can talk covenant while dismissing the terms of the covenant which is to stay holy even as he is holy Jesus told that woman in adultery now that you you know now that I have forgiven you just come back when you need to be forgiven again no i'm you know obviously it's not like you're You know, you might mess up again. You might make a mistake. But it shouldn't be the same mistake over and over again. The grace of God is not an exemption card to continue on in your unholy lifestyle. The grace of God is going to empower you to stand up in holiness and do like Jesus told that woman caught in the midst of adultery. Now that I've forgiven you, go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. There's now therefore no condemnation, not for anybody, for those that do not walk according to the flesh. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk. They're no longer practicing their old sinful lifestyles. They've nailed that and crucified their passions and fleshly desires and appetites to the cross. They're no longer carnally minded. They're pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They're laying hold onto the holiness that God has provided for us. Number two, so number one, stay holy. Number two, stay focused. I did a whole broadcast series last week. and go up and look on it. The way we stay focused is to engage in the harvest. Keep focus on, on uh, the, the mandate of soul winning. Don't get caught up with um, building your own self, building your own you know in such in, in, in personal gain and aggrandizements so that you're so disconnected from the from the uh, from the harvest from soul winning. Stay focused. Colossians 3 says we had to set our minds on the things above where Christ is seated. Number three, stay bold. It's gonna take boldness, unlike ever before, to survive this end time, this end time uh, persecution that is gonna rise against the church. I mean, we see it where I was, I talked about it at the beginning of the broadcast in Montreal. The church is being the church is being persecuted. I know they're saying, well, no, everybody's shutting down. Really? Well, why did they just open up movie theaters to 250 but kept churches at 10? If this isn't somehow directed towards the church. If you think that people in government, and I'm not saying we should cause a revolt, pick up guns, and atta- I'm not saying that. Jesus did not say when Samaria refused to have him. And that Samaritan village refused to have him tra- uh, pass through. And G- Peter and John said, should we call down fire from heaven and consume them? James and John, sorry. He didn't say, yes, They, you know, let's consume them by fire. No, he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy man's lives, but to save man's lives. So I'm not saying that we should take up physical arms, but <laughs> understand that behind these unholy laws, there's... There is demon power at work. There are principalities setting themselves against the church, trying to hold back the advancement of what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus didn't say the gates of hell won't try to prevail. They're going to try to prevail. But just like in the days of Daniel, all of their efforts will be futile. All of their efforts, all of their strengths will come to nothing. All of their plans will come to nothing. They'll be futile and they'll be devoid of power to bring them to pass. The Bible says they devised a plot which they were unable to perform. But it's going to take boldness to stand in the midst of being faced and threatened with a blazing furnace to take a stand and said, I'll never bow. That boldness is coming in you today. God is stiffening your spiritual backbone that no matter the heights of persecution that our generation experiences, even unto death, you will not cave in. Not by might, not by strength. God's grace is going to enable you to be an overcomer. And as such, just like Paul said, in the future, there's laid up a crown of life and of righteousness for me me, and for those that are that, are, uh, that love my appearing. Jesus said that. God's going to empower That's what the Holy Ghost, that's what the baptism in the Spirit does. It emboldens you. What caused Peter and John to look at the Sanhedrin and say, we must obey God rather than, rather than men? What caused that? Acts 4. They prayed and the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. Receive a fresh baptism in that spirit right now from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I curse timidity and shyness. God has not given you a spirit of fear or of shyness, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Receive power to grow bold, to be unashamed. Of this gospel and everything this gospel stands for. David said, everything in this book concerning all things I consider to be right. Boldness in the midst of a generation that says this is a lie and it's false. That says it's something that's holding back progress. That's holding back the future of what we can attain. In the midst of their threats, in the midst of their Attempts to get you to to cower, to get you to shrink back a holy fire. That fire will never go out in you. Jesus said, I've come to set fire on the earth. That no matter the hostility you face against sinners towards yourself, You'll be be found standing. You'll be like the remnant. Let me show you what the remnant of these last days is going to look like. I read this before and it it blessed me. Zechariah chapter 8. Listen to this. And I'm going to finish with this. Zechariah 8. But now, I'll not treat the remnant of this people as in former days. For the seed... The remnant will be prosperous. Hallelujah. The remnant shall be prosperous. You can't put God first and end up last. You can't make a bold stand for God and be crushed by the pressure of the world. No, take heart. I have overcome. And because you've taken the same act of obedience in the face Of a den of lions, you too will overcome. And remember, when Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross, what happened? Did it turn out for him to have less glory after all of that? Did after all that he did at the cross, he had less glory in heaven? Or does the Bible say because of his obedience to the point of death, he was promoted to the highest place. And there was given him a name that is higher than any other name. Obedience always leads to promotion. It always leads to prosperity. It always leads to multiplication. It always leads to greatness. This isn't a story of people that took, you know, Esther in the day when the Jews were being slaughtered. She took a stand and her head too was cut off. No. We're only reading about Esther to this day because of her obedience. Gave her divine promotion. And then... Because of that, uh, her, her like, she entered into stardom and is a hero of faith in this Bible. The ground shall give her increase, the heaven shall give their due, and I'll cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. Skip down to verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Because they're going to see the remnant prospering, peoples will come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord. Yes, many nations and strong peoples will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. Zechariah is prophesying that in the day when that remnant stands, the prosperity level... The, the, the power level that's going to be manifest through that church. The greatness level. The wisdom level. The awesomeness of that end time army is going to be so great that many people, they're going to get the notice and the attention of many. The Bible says kings will come to the brightness of your rising and Gentiles shall march to you from all the ends of the earth. It's going to be a divine attraction to bring people in. And then comes the end, that end time harvest. Haggai chapter two, in the last day, says God, I will pour out of my spirit, Joel chapter two, but then Haggai, tap, sorry, Joel chapter two is I'm going to pour out of my spirit. Haggai chapter two says in those days when I shake the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, the Bible says in my house, there will be peace and there will be many. Many are going to flock towards because there won't be peace anywhere else. There'll be distress, perplexity. The only place... There will be on the earth is in the house of God. The only peace being ministered towards others is going to be by a Christian, a believer, a Holy Ghost filled, spirit filled warrior on the earth. Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens. I will shake the earth and everything that will be shaken shall be shaken. But in my people, the son of righteousness is going to rise. An end time sweeping forth of the glory of God. The power of God is going to issue and bring in, usher in an awakening. Where we're going to see more people saved in 10 years. Than the efforts of evangelism in the last 100 years. I believe that. I firmly believe that. And I know God has reserved you for this. You're not going to be on the sideline. You're not going to be wishing... That you could take part in this. No. You were born for such a time as this. God has strategically placed you on this earth. For this time. And God's going to use you. In whatever capacity. That you yield yourself. For him, to him. For him to use you. The only way. The only thing that's blocking people from being used by God. Is not God's selection. Many are called. It's many. Do not answer the call. And many do not yield themselves. When God is speaking, who will go for me? People ignore it. They might say, yes, send me in an anointed service. But then they wake up Monday morning and they forget everything they they had just consecrated and pledged towards the Lord. But I don't believe that's you. I believe you're a part of a special group of people. And... uh, let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray the fire that's been deposited in those watching, let it never go out. Just like you gave the command in Leviticus, the fire, the priests that attended to it, they must never let the fire go out. I pray, Lord, that they would be constantly added to the fire, wood necessary, not only to keep the intensity of the flames at the level it's at now, but to grow that fire, to grow the intensity of that fire, to grow the boldness in the... To strengthen them in their most holy faith. They would be charged up. That in the day of tribulation, in the day of persecution, in the day of trial. They would have more than enough soil. They wouldn't be those that when the sun arose they withered away. But rather that they would be found faithful. Working for you. Doing, working while it is yet day, knowing that night is coming when no man can work in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.